Oral Histories of the National Railway Museum. Welcome to the National Railway Museum's Oral History Podcast. Helen Hill is a long-term railway person, working with SA Railways, Australian National Railways, Pacific National, Freightlink and GWA. In part one, she talks with Bob Sampson and Frank Hussey about her experiences in the rail industry. So Helen, where did it really start? Well, my grandfather worked for the Commonwealth Railways in Port Perry. And when I left school, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, and I was 16. And he said, go and put your name down at the railways. So I went up to room 108 in the railway station and put my name down. And a week later, I got a call and said, come in for a test. And because I could do shorthand and typing, I got a role as a stenographer back in those days. And I started at the Railways Institute on North Terrace, March 74. Ron Grant was the secretary of the Railways Institute and he had a bit of a thing that they'd had quite a few secretaries go through there and he couldn't remember their names so he used to just call all the girls Susie (laughs) until I started (laughs) and I wouldn't respond. He was a bit old hat. So in the end he got the message that I didn't respond to Susie. And what were your duties there? Just secretarial stuff, just organising meetings at the Railways Institute. Obviously, there was a lot of social functions, so we had to organise them. And I used to do stuff for there used to be like a ladies' bowling group, and you know, all the old girls and come in with their meeting notes. So I used to type up all the meeting notes from the Ladies' Bowls Association. And there was the big library there, so a lot of the people had come in getting library books. And Mary Skinner was the librarian, so we'd do a little bit of stuff together with the books. But importantly, why most people got to know you was the fact that you had a regular feature in the Institute magazine and it was called Helen's Hints <laughs> because when I had been at the Institute I said it was all very male oriented and it was all about the old railway boys network so there was a young guy started there called David Langston he had some ideas so Don Patching was the assistant secretary I think so Don said well why don't you two write something So we thought, oh, okay. So we started writing a few stories in the Railway Institute magazine. And we used to do all the printing and that down there as well. So the boys used to have to get the old Gestetner machine. And I used to have to type it on stencils. And if you made a mistake when you were doing stuff on stencils, it was the end of the world. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, in those days, the typewriters were just clunky old typewriters. There was nothing flash about them. So if you made a mistake, you'd get the stuff and you'd try and paint out the mistake. That's right, little red stuff. That's right. It was. Well, I was at the Institute for four years and I actually had never seen a staff notice. I didn't even know that you could apply for other jobs. And it wasn't until one of the guys said to me, oh, how come you don't ever apply for anything? And I said, well, I didn't know that you could. And that was about when they first started letting girls become clerks. Because when I joined, you could only be a stenographer, a typist, or work in the refresh. And I reckon it was about a, maybe a year, six months before I left the Institute, that they started getting young female clerks into the mailing room. So from there, I went to Islington Workshops as a secretary. So I worked with John Charter, but old Dawn was in charge of the typing pool, Dawn Holland. But I was there for two years. I remember fortnightly, they used to do the pay run. So all of the workers would line up at the front of the correspondence office 
and get paid in cash. In little brown envelopes. Yeah. <laughs> and then a while after that, the payroll guys were told they had to carry guns. And then it was a while after that that it became electronic payroll. So I was down at Islington for a couple of years and the guys used to come and clock on, clock off at the workshop. And then there was Pally Christensen. Well, he went down to the Islington workshops as well. Mm. And that was when the train used to come into the workshops. Mm. So all the workers would get on the train whatever time and knock off. Well, Pally got pissed one Christmas and he drove his bloody hotted up Ford or whatever it was straight over the bloody platform (laughs) and ended up on the bloody railway tracks at the end. So we got you at Island Workshops. Yeah. A&R takes over in 1978. Yeah. What was the triggers for you in 1978? Well, then I got a job at Industrial Relations up at... Mm. Well, they used to call it the castle. Norwich so, Union. Norwich doing. Union, that's right, in the secretarial role. Mm. And that was when uh, a lot of the union people used to come in, but it was the ARU and the AWU in those days. It was John Crossing. So I was up there for a couple of years. There was a very unsettling period of time, the early days of the amalgamation with an influx of Commonwealth yeah. Railways people, South Australian yeah. Railways. So there used to be a real thing about the commies and the saris. Yeah. The commies always thought the saris had come in and tried to take over and the saris always thought the commies had come in and tried to take over. Tribal politics. It was. <laughs> you didn't mention the AFULE, they didn't come across your... No, that came later mm-hmm. when I went to operations. Yes. And John Hurley was the operations manager, I think. Funnily enough, his son, Paul Hurley, works at One Rail now, down at Dry Creek. There was Paul, John Hurley, and then they brought in Ron Robertson, who came from WA. And him and Les Smith got on like houses on fires. And then that was when I first came across... I suppose, the AFULE and, Mm. you know, some of those other union organisations. And I remember Rex used to come in with Dennis White. Yeah, they were good guys. Like, after the meetings were over, it was really quite convivial. You know, Mm. like, there wasn't this real us and them as much. I mean, there was still a bit of that, and, you know, the union was quite strong in those days. And I remember they marched on Ian House. When I was working for Ron Robertson... He actually, without me knowing, had organised for me to do my safe working rules. Ron Robertson, when he got the role as the operations manager, I was his secretary. Every week he used to have the operations weekly meeting. And there was Kingsley Martin, John Fullerton, Damien White, a couple of marketing guys. But... You know, I said to Kingsley one day, I kind of feel like the dud of that group because they all came along to be high flyers, you know, like John Fullerton at mm. ARTC, mm. you know, Kingsley with the work that he did, Damien White, of course. Tazrol, MD. This is all how they've progressed. Yeah. But back then, the time you're talking about... They were all young. Precisely. And, they were uh, all young folks. I mean, what was Damien's role in those days? Oh, I think he was in the livestock office or something like that. Yeah, and Kingsley was... The area manager for yeah. Port Augusta or something Sounds like right. that. Area right. manager, Northern Region. I and Roy Paul... Yeah. That's right, right. Roy Paul used to come to those meetings. Roy and Kingsley and Ron Robbie got me into the operating area. Okay. Well, my first clerical job was acting demurrage clerk, so you can imagine how much fun that was because (laughs) (laughs) no one ever wanted to pay demurrage. And there'd be all these open wagons that came in from 
Mount Gambier and places like that, full of tyres that hadn't been sent on rail but somehow came back on rail. And so then they'd have wagons down at all these places for I don't know how long. And so then you send out all these letters for DeMurray. And then you get all these phone calls. Oh, we're not paying that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that was a bit of a tough gig because no one ever wanted to pay DeMurray. And then I think I might have gone to Senwag after I'd done that stint mm. there. That was really the first national, national. focus of it, freight movement. It was. All the train loads used to come into that central place. Yeah. Hundreds a day of all these train loads. So you basically have to sort through all these train loads and then send them off to various places. Yep. On the old telex machine. On the old telex machines. <laughs> But the concept here was that interstate rail freight consisted of moving freight around the country in wagons owned by each of the different state rail systems Mm -hmm. and then have to be returned to their origin. Origin, yeah. Hopefully with some sort of loads, but in some sort of efficient manner. So that was a real steep learning curve, Mm. but I actually enjoyed my stints there. Some of the illuminaries in there, of course, were Max Michelle. Yeah. Don Perry, he started in... Um, Freight Clark, Port Perry. Yeah, but he went to Sandway. Yeah. John Purcell. Quite a few, let's say, the Terry Doerwood type. So you'd have the right sort of Clark being given an opportunity to go to Senway to do some time there yeah. and there was a bit of a turnover of staff. Yeah, and, there was. And Terry thoroughly enjoyed that exposure. Yeah. Would it be fair to say that Senway gave you your start into what was the focus of a lot of your future work, rolling stock management? Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. I think I did the demurrage clerk. Yes, that's stuff true. That's the same first. stuff, isn't it? Mm. So then that sort of led me into the opportunity to do the relief at Senway. Mm. But then it... it changed quite a bit and I've got to say back in those early days Roy Paul and Kingsley Martin they were real mentors for me those two guys Mm. and then Ron Robertson he was sent down to research and development and I went with him so then they started that resource management course again Ron threw me in at the deep end and I started having to do presentations at those resource management courses that was good as well but those sort of things that he implemented to me are the things that I really remember about Ron Robbie's time there. Mm. It got a lot of people together from a lot of different backgrounds. So that was really good. I really enjoyed my time working with Ron Robbie. Still in Melbourne? No, I was back in Adelaide. I was only in Melbourne for short periods of time doing relief. And then I was still in operations. That was when they moved into Ian House. And then that must have been after Ron Robbie got shafted because that was when I went to research and development with him, but still there. And then from there, when Ron was going back to WA, I was a Clark Class 4 at that stage. So I'd gone from the Demurrage Clark Class 1, I got a job as a Clark Class 4 in that research and development area. And then I got the job into corporate affairs. And there was a bit of aggro in some circles about that because I went from a Clark Class 4 to a Clark Class 10. So there was all sorts of appeals, you know, when the old appeal board used to sit and I went through various appeals on that appointment. And then I worked up there for a couple of years. I don't think it was very long. No, I reckon it was just over two years. Around 86. And then things were starting to wind up. And because I was the admin officer for corporate affairs, when they were offering all the packages, I actually wrote myself out of a job so I could get the package. So (laughs) I sort of changed a few things and got the redundancy. And I had almost a year off. And then I came back and got the job with 
National Rail. That job with National Rail, what would be, what, 92? Yeah, it was. That was when Dulwich opened. So I got the job with Max Michelle as a unit administrator. That's right. And I was only with Max for probably three months, and then I got the job as a resource planner. Mm. Or deployment officer, I think they were called in those days. Mm. And that would have been before the big influx and, and a lot of staff started getting recruited by NR in that early 90s period, I suppose. And Miranda Cox and Kingsley Martin were the only three people there, I reckon. They were in that stage. Yeah. At that, uh, I think Max might have joined at that time. I began work there in early 92 and at that stage I had a few meetings at the State Bank Miller. We moved into Dulwich about mid-92. So that role that you had in Dulwich lasted several years, as I recall. Yeah, started off in wagon deployment. That's right. And then Tony Aldridge came in and started Steel Link and changed all the roles, and I was the resource planner in Steel Link. And so we were all assigned a division. So I think one of my first roles was Wyala. And so that was all the deployments, a lot of customer interface. And then I went in, went on and did resource planning for the Melbourne region. And that was interesting because you had to do the bogey exchange to go down to Western Port. So there was a lot of coordination, I suppose, getting all the right things in the right place to do all the steel onto the broad gauge. By that time, John Fullerton would have joined. John Fullerton joined about the same time that I did. Yeah, so by 94, Fullerton would have been there for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was promoted in late 95 when Mike left. So even Graham Yinch, he was in mixed, mixed yes, up with that was, yeah. group. When I go back and you know think about all those people that came to those Ron Robbie meetings and how everyone blossomed almost. From, yes. And Con Alexandridis, he of used course, to Of course, another one, yeah. He's gone on to, yeah. you know, he's got his own consulting business. I remember Ron Robbie was brought in as more or less a consultant because he was very keen on promoting the double stack mm-hmm. ideas. I mean, he was a real outside-the-box yeah. thing. Yeah. And he was really highly regarded in that research area in the establishment of the whole National Rail Freight Initiative, which has, of course, moved to be the National Mm. Rail Corporation. And I'm thinking that a lot of the people associated with him, including yourself, were caught up in his ideas. And it's not surprising, I think, that a lot of those people became the real movers and shakers in these changing times. Mm. I have a lot of high regard for him in that regard. Fred Affleck also got in the mix around the, the 94 yes, period, mm. and he was a yeah. futuristic yeah. sort. Well, in terms of the initial National Rail, Vince Graham, Fred Affleck, yeah. they were right there at, at, mm. at the, the very beginning. Yeah. They were the initial management team. Frank Tate, Intermodal, Roto Loan. Oh, um, Roto Loan. Yeah. The uh, steel and bulk. Yeah, he used to say, alone here. Yeah. <laughs> Roto Loan. <laughs> so I think about seven of Barry O'Sullivan, yeah. Industrial Relations, yeah. about seven of them. And I think Mike came in later. I mean, I was employee number 17. I joined in 92, so there was that initial team that really made a lot of huge changes and decisions mm. at that time. And Kingsley came in, I think, at the same time as John Fullerton and myself. Well, yeah. with National Rail, I was employee 1000. There were some steep learning curves in some ways when I worked at A.N. House and Don Williams' personal assistant used to go on leave. 
I was asked to go up there and relieve her job. Don Williams was a bit of a funny character. I always got on quite okay with him. But Debbie used to go every day and buy his lunch over at the canteen over the road. And when I went up there to relieve, she said, no, you'd have to go and get Dr Williams' lunch every day. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay. So I went over the canteen. I think he used to have a cheese and tomato sandwich every day. Back to Ron Grant's wifey job. That's right. Back to, <laughs> back to the old wifey job. So I used to just get his sandwich and give it to him in the white paper bag and put it on his desk and that was it. Make him a cup of coffee as well, had to do that sort of stuff. So when Debbie, who was his personal assistant, Debbie Brown, came back, she said to me one day, you know, Dr Don likes his sandwiches unwrapped and standing up like in little triangles. <laughs> and I said, well, you never got that from me. And she said, oh, no, that's, that's how he prefers it. And I said, oh, OK. But I bet you he never raised it with you. He never raised it no. with me. But then when I went back couple more times to relieve. He's still got his sangers on a plate in the paper bag. He's going a plate. I don't do that shit. (laughs) (laughs) At least you gave me a plate. But, you know, going back to those times, and Lou Marks was chairman. chairman, Mm -hmm. And I remember distinctly the day there was a phone call to say there was that big derailment in Tasmania where the locos went over the side with oh, the crew drowned. in the river. Yeah. Yeah. There's some things like that that you just never forget. Mm-hmm. So I, I really remember that and, you know, things like Hines Hill, you know, some of that really tragic yeah, stuff. stuff. The steel train that ended up, you know, in that landslide and mm-hmm. both of the drivers were killed. Yeah. There's things like that that you yeah. never really forget those mm-hmm. sort of things. When you were in Don Williams and up at that level... Do you remember any discussions about the National Rail Initiative? It eventually led to the demise of AF. When the redundancy packages were first being offered, mm. there was a lot of concern amongst people about what was going to happen to their roles. Mm. What was their life going to be? How were they going to make a living from mm. one of those people? Mm. And I think it was really quite secretive in the early stages. Mm. And then, you know, word got around and we used to have a solicitor that worked up at AN House. I went and had a chat to him about some of the things that were going on. And I said, oh, I don't know, like I'm thinking about whether I should take the redundancy Mm. if if it gets offered to me. And he said to me, I think you should. And it was that point when I started to think, yes, something big's going to go down here. Mm. So that was when I got the idea that I would restructure Mm. that whole corporate affairs admin Mm. area. Mm and write myself out of a job, Mm, mm, which I mm. successfully did. But there was a lot of restructuring going on at that time. And so when I did get the redundancy package, I actually finished as a senior officer class one after that restructure. And I think there was only a couple of females that uh, Laurel Black was one, I reckon. And there might have been one other one. Yeah, not many. No, not many at all. But there was a fair bit of animosity, I would say, amongst the other gender when women got promoted into some of those roles. But anyway, you took the good with the bad and you just, you know, rolled with the punches and moved on. Thanks for listening to this oral history podcast from the National Railway Museum.